0: Are you looking to self-improve and never stop learning? You need to actually have fucked up experiences in order to learn. You're in the right place. Escape the Matrix.
1: You take the blue pill, the story ends. You take the red pill. Stay in Wonderland. Welcome
2: to Notes from the Underground.
1: You can view it as this fun thing that kind of brings the joy of life. A
2: Kaizen Journey with your host, JMC Jr. All right, guys. Welcome to the Notes from the Underground podcast. We are very lucky and honored to have uh, Mr. Eli Cortez here with us and Elisa, his daughter. Um, Eli has an impressive record of over 31 years in IT and application development. He uh, recently led some mission critical design and operational changes management and technology initiatives and projects for various customers in both the private and the public sectors. Uh, his, you know, his background includes being director of technology in the largest uh, school system, second largest school system in the, in the country, in LAUSD. He then went on to become a director of technology at the, for the county of San Bernardino. And then finally, he actually was the CIO for the state of California. And he led us through the Y2K uh, pandemic, I don't know if you want to call that. But during that time, there was uh, definitely a lot of nervousness as we approached the year 2000. And he led uh, the state through that, which was awesome. And since then, you know, Eli has really successfully moved on to uh, become a successful entrepreneur, helping cities and communities adapt, combat the digital divide, and become smart cities. Eli, welcome. Lisa, welcome. Uh, Thank you. you, Thank you. Fill in some of the blanks from that back of your background from that intro.
1: No, that was fine. We just had a Good time at the state creating uh, best practices, uh, not just for Y2K, but cybersecurity and telecommunications. Um, Since uh, I came back down to Southern California, I've had the privilege to establish quite a bit of relationships with uh, municipalities in Southern California. And uh, we're actually doing coaching with uh, teleworking. We're helping them with their uh, cybersecurity and we're helping them with their business uh, contingency planning. So all of our things that most municipalities got caught off uh, guard with, with this pandemic, and they're all issues that are human related, uh, communications issues that the city can't operate without implementing these solutions. So we're excited, Elisa's been helping me with that. And uh, she's really uh, adept at uh, streaming and doing all the fun things she's been doing, now. their work things too.
0: Yeah.
2: awesome well i mean obviously the work you've done and your and your background is uh critical right now given uh, the coronavirus and the fact that many workers are forced to work from home and and uh, obviously we've had a big hit in the education department where schools have closed for the year since um since you've been at the sacramento as ceo what do you think are the three uh, biggest things biggest improvements over the last over your time at sacramento to now in terms of technology use in uh the community
1: well the the challenges that i face go over decades so i'm gonna cover at least three decades to some of you it might seem strange but if you put it in three different entities that i've been working with throughout this uh uh 30 years it's been uh the the communications developed by networking and Cisco obviously has been a leader in municipalities for school districts and cities. They're basically the de facto standard. Uh, The other one was uh, when Microsoft uh, transitioned uh, applications development from mainframes to desktop computers. And then probably the more recent ones are the cybersecurity uh, changes that have occurred worldwide because of the fact that we have created so many endpoints all the way up to cell phones uh, and back to uh, servers and the firewalls and all those things that fall in between. So the cybersecurity leaders, there's quite a few of them there, but if there's three major things, it was those things. It was developing the internet, uh, making it secure, and allowing us to uh, really access applications on a daily basis, and that occurred through Apple converting uh, the iPhone, or I, well, I call the computer phone, uh, into a day-to-day tool that all of us use, and and you can, you know, uh, my little eight-year-old granddaughter has a saying, you know, Google it, right, so even the youngest kids use this technology because of that whole invention of the iPhone and the iPad and that technology, so I think Apple is another big player in in this uh, paradigm shift that's occurred. Uh,
2: So in regards to those kind of improvements and your work, I know you're working with uh, multiple cities on uh, some telecommuting policies and so forth. So what are some things that we can improve on in terms of taking advantage and leveraging that kind of technology?
1: So the beauty is uh, the technology has always been there and the challenge that all the IT specialists. So if you're in a small city, you're a desktop manager, you don't have mainframe experience and you don't have a lot of cybersecurity training. So the technology exists and exists in a big way. So there's companies like Cisco, like Microsoft uh, that have training programs online that you could just pretty much download a a link and start getting up to speed. But as it relates to how you use it on a day-to-day, Um, I really think that most people uh, until now are realizing how important cybersecurity has been. And that's probably been the biggest thing that people avoid dealing with because it's so technical and it's so, uh, I'm going to say gray. It's very, you don't know exactly where you fit within it. And so from basic people posting a password up on the computer and sharing things and sharing computers, uh, people aren't realizing that if I share my uh, Netflix account with a a cousin of mine and he's accessing it and all that, people could hack into that through their site and then come back your way. So there's a lot of technology that exists now that's user-friendly that is really focused today on teleworking and on securing the telework that you do. Uh, I would advise that for gaming too. If you're going to be gaming, if you're going to be doing other online uh, school apps, always double check your security.
2: Well, I think one of my bigger questions is, um, it seems that some, uh, especially like, public sector services and and maybe even schools were caught off guard and not prepared for, you know, studying from home, teaching from home and working from home. If technology has advanced so much that, you know, we have so much power in a cell phone, the cell is more powerful than the computers that put us in the moon. Why is it that we were caught so off guard when we were forced to work remotely?
1: So it's not just a digital divide. It's a, a training slash uh, skills, yeah, skill sets, development divide. So <gasps> most school districts uh, do do training. Uh, school districts do now have people that are. Uh, what I would call desktop managers, but they have their own title that they they basically are very good at. but when you look at those jobs and those positions relative to the number of teachers that they have to support uh, it 's not enough resources that are dedicated to the training and the skill set and so the good news is online a ton of education has come online, especially because of this transition, especially because even IT companies couldn't go on site and train people. So now everyone's shifting totally towards utilizing online apps to do the training to get you set up. But in in that digital divide, it has to do with people. So there's three components to technology. It's the people, the process, and the technology itself. If you don't train the people and build the skill sets for the people, it's very difficult to implement and improve processes and then it's more difficult to use online apps or online tools if that structure and that process and the training isn't in place. So I think the other training uh, uh, components that should have been there is what caught most people off guard.
2: Well, I think my question is, um, you know, you, you let us th- stay to the Y2K issue, right? In the Y2K issue, people don't remember what that was. It was uh, a lot of programs were two-digit year, you know, coded in two-digit years. In the year 2000, you had now incorporated a four-digit year, and there was a thought that that was going to break a lot of uh, software that the state relied on to provide its services. But you could have argued that that could have been a lack of preparation because obviously we knew that was coming on board way before that happened. So along those lines, um, if technology is increasing so much and and you have a unique perspective because you were also at LA Unified, um, I guess my question is, uh, why did it take this for schools and government agencies to look into using technology to provide those services? Like online learning, why aren't we teaching online learning in schools right now? Why, in, why aren't we incorporating some of these tools in our services at, you know, at government agencies before this happened?
1: So there were signs after the Y2K with the uh, educational environment where uh, kids were actually teaching their teachers how to teach them on computers. Those signs were there. The the lack of resources or the lack of prioritizing those resources for those uh, educational specialists within school districts uh, was insufficient. So the administrations have made decisions based on their resources and the limited resources that they already have. Um, They didn't see, the decision makers didn't see this coming and they didn't see it coming because they felt it was a transition that they were gonna go through and they had plenty of time. Now we're forced to immediately do a paradigm shift And that force requires everybody to readjust regardless of what staff you have available or regardless of what technology you have in your school district. So uh, basically, we as human beings have short-term memories. Uh, If you look at what's going on now, a lot of people aren't getting their checks from the government because they're updating unemployment insurance systems uh, that still run on COBOL that during my time, we had to hire programmers out of retirement to <laughs> come and fix those systems. And we recommended uh, the leadership to replace them and they weren't replaced. So here we are again, going in a full circle of where we need to be. So right now it's, it's a forced matter. It's not even a question. So right now the state has an RFP out uh, for programmers that are COBOL programmers, most of which have been retired for a decade or more. So you'll see that cycle that that we're going through, but the the missed opportunity was a leadership opportunity where uh, embracing technology as a resource, not just a tool, but a resource is the big difference. And I think part of the, again, the digital divide comes from the fact that most teachers were not trained or properly trained in utilizing technology as a resource. They, they have it as a tool. I mean, they have computers here and there, but they were never really trained on tips and techniques on how to get and maximize that tool that 's in that classroom,
2: I know uh, we mentioned the digital divide the digital divide, and I know Lisa you wrote a great a great paper on that particular topic. Maybe we can explain uh, what the digital divide, the digital divide is to uh, so people that are not familiar with it
1: so i 'll start with the digital divide it 's a, a uh, lack <laughs> of resources that are ded- dedicated mostly to disadvantaged communities and rural communities. So if you're in a city, you've got a lot of bandwidth, you've got 5G networks, you've got things that don't exist in disadvantaged communities and don't exist in rural communities. And so just that alone creates a huge gap between keeping the students that live within the cities and the cities uh, that are farming communities at the same pace of learning opportunities. So they don't have the same exposure as far as bandwidth, as far as tools. So there might be apps on the internet that they could use, they could download videos, they could download other things, but if they don't have the bandwidth, then they don't have access to that tool or to that application. And so changing that and building bridges that are, you know, now they're talking about 5G networks. Um, Cities are now uh, buying the streetlights and not just replacing the street lights with LED, but they're using smart street lights where you can embed Wi-Fi, and then the city can use Wi-Fi to work with the school districts to allow more access to those disadvantaged students. Uh, Lisa has a perspective on it because she experienced it directly in one of the classes she had, you wanna share that.
0: Um, yeah, so I had done a paper on the digital divide. It was um, the prompt for the paper, it was a short paper, it was like a current events paper. Um, and it was for our intro to computer science class that I had taken just to be like, well, I could use like a refresher. And um, when I brought the topic to the teacher, the teacher's like, well, I'd rather you do something else. But I was like, well, you know, I think this is important. It was an entire chapter in the book that we had for the class. And I'd found an article that had been posted just like a few days before. So I had done the paper. I did the presentation and the teacher was had told me that she doesn't really think that the digital divide was an issue anymore. And then she had dropped my grade on the paper because she had asked me not, not to do the report on it. Um, which I felt was like a little unfair and irritating because I was like, obviously this is an issue if it's in our book <laughs> that we, we had to buy for this class. And it, you know the article was only about a week old, you know?
2: So can and you I, tell us about that article?
0: Um, and, I, and it's been a while since I read over the article, but it was discussing the issue of the digital divide, especially in like, um, so like you have the rural community issue where they have, they don't have access to the bandwidth where on the kind of urban cities issue is some of these schools will get grants and will be able to access funding and they'll have a room full of like brand new Mac computers. No one knows how to run them they don't have any programming for students on how to like use them and teach themselves any like other skills outside of basic computer programming and a lot of times they just sit empty and they end up getting stolen so these they're so like unused and there's no again it's that that three-part structure of you need the people the process and the technology so once one of those goes out you know the whole thing crumbles and I think that it's so important to not think of the digital divide as like, oh, no one has like a cell phone nowadays because that's not like the issue. The issue is that there needs to be structure in place and people like there has to be all of the resources together in order to like create the same access to technology that um, people all over the world have.
1: So, so let's bring that back to the classroom if you have the class she's talking about was a community college class. So I, I was shocked, literally shocked at, at the whole situation. So I had a friend who was a trustee and I brought it to their attention. That's where I'm talking about administration needing to be integrated with the teaching of technology, not just as a, a tool, but it's gotta be a resource. In other words, you gotta know when how to do fact checking on what you a search for how to do uh, sharing of information securely, how to integrate the sharing of that information with the lessons of the book. So, part of the challenge is people, uh, industries uh, thrive on selling books to schools. I mean, I've seen a lot of kids with backpacks that have almost break their backs carrying these books that are so heavy. That in, in my day, way back about uh, two decades ago, when I was at Alley Unified, we were talking about digitizing all that, but because of all the politics of the paper companies and the books and the printing and, and that fight, that never really transpired. So there are in the industry reasons why things don't move also. Uh, so you got the administrators who need to push and become uh, what I call an executive sponsor. They need to be the ones that drive the the move towards technology, that drive the instructors to you know, get up to speed, that drive the the training dollars to help the instructors get up to speed. And to me, you know, even the cell phone is a perfect example. A lot of teachers assume that if a child has a cell phone, that they got access to a data plan. And they don't typically in these uh, disadvantaged communities. So their only access points are uh, to to sell their data are at the school. And so you have government programs called E-Rate that have funded for decades, a lot of this technology, this infrastructure, that infrastructure is limited to the school site. It doesn't go to the community. So the gap between that school site into a home, let's say three miles away is part of that digital divide. It's the last mile that hasn't been interconnected. And so right now we're finding, for example, that Verizon put out a great program that they could sell really good technology to educators. Uh, Again, why didn't that exist before? It exists now because of the uh, COVID-19, but why didn't that paradigm exist before? Because again, those are priorities that need to be shifted uh, holistically, not just the teachers, not just the administrators. It's also the industry that's supporting these schools, that's selling their software, that's selling their hardware. They should not be selling hardware without a training program tied to it. So if you're selling technology and, and you're not including a, tra- a training skills development uh, component to your, to your sale, then you're actually not helping the school district much. And so those are things that I think need to change. So um, can
2: I go back to Lisa real quick? When did you write this paper? Yeah
0: oh gosh uh had to be years years ago at least maybe four years
2: yeah
0: maybe six years
2: um and your teacher didn't think there was a digital divide Did, did they give any clarification on why they they thought that
0: no um she was an older woman she is an older woman who had been in technology for a long time um i had a few issues with the class because she had uh it was like a summer you know I just taken it as a refresher. it was like a summer class um and she she really enjoyed like she would come out of retirement basically to come and teach this like one class a year um and she had a lot of interesting perspectives on how the industry had been um but she also uh was recommending that we buy these like magnetic gloves for our hands because she was saying that the electronic Uh, radiation from the computer was making our blood clot. So it was that, it was that, you know, it was kind of seeing like, okay, this teacher is like a teacher, but she's also like a person. And this is a person that on Facebook would share, stuff that went unfact checked that w- the critical thinking had not been used. She took us to like the site where like the information was, you know what I mean? It was like clear to everyone else in the class that was much younger, like, oh, this, you've fallen in a trap. Like this is, you know, very obvious to our eyes because we've grown up on the internet, grown up on the internet, not only being told constantly, everyone that you talk to on the internet is some old man that's gonna like eat you, like, so beware, but also like everything on the internet is a lie. That's like the, our generation. So we are so quick to look for every hole that there could be on a website or a web page. Where she saw it, saw that they had a web page and a web presence and had like a few names on there, not really verified, not really like, I, you know, she was like, oh, I, I read this here and I feel like that's true. Sometimes my hands get cold when I use a computer. So, you know, put those two things together, wear magnetic gloves.
1: But again, Juan, just a perfect example. That's where uh, the leadership comes in. So the leadership of that community college needs to do uh, what I've always done. It's called inspect what you expect. So you need to, when I was teaching computer-aided design and drafting at, at uh, a community college, I had uh, uh, oversight come into the room and they would evaluate my session for that day. So that has seemed be uh, something that's gone away, where we should always be fact-checking our teachers while they're delivering these lessons to the kids. And that's only because we need to double-check that two things are happening. The instructor is, is professionally handling their communication, and then the students are being engaged in a communication where it's a learning process and not uh, quote-unquote just a lecture. And so these are the kind of things that I think that we need to go back to and and make sure that we do the trust but verify with uh, the training, the teachers, the program, and then even survey the kids and ask them, you know, how did you uh, feel about this class? Uh, What could you have learned more? What ideas uh, would you have liked to have been covered? So then we're doing continual improvement. On our classes, and this, you know, it should be treated as constructive criticism, and we should work with that as as part of how we uh, uh, improve our programs. So, just to
2: get back to the digital divide, because I actually have um, I actually have a lot of questions for the current school system when it comes to technology, specifically things like the phone. Um, and I tell my I'm against the policy of not having a phone in the classroom. For a lot of reasons, but um, I tell them when I, when I talk to other adults, I tell them, "How many of you actually take notes during a meeting? You don't do that anymore. No you just take your phone out and take a picture of the whiteboard. So why are we, if that's the world our kids are going to go into? Why are we not you know showing them how to use a phone for for the benefits other than saying it's a distraction, it's a distraction, it's a distraction? But what I feel you're saying, Eli, maybe what you're saying too, Alyssa, is that it's really probably a leadership issue uh of forecasting what these kids need and what how we can provide that for them so in other words if the job of the school is to get them ready for the world they're going to enter and the world they're going to enter is technology you know
1: driven and then
2: right why are yeah. we embracing that and saying hey we, you know why we so i when i go to my kid's school i say like tell me why he has to te- learn handwriting i'm not well, and there's there's reasons for it but what i'm saying is given today's world like I mean, honestly, like why am I having a spelling bee? I, I could spell check, with my phone just corrects it for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, why aren't we embracing that kind of technology? And I think as a school, the leadership sometimes doesn't prepare their kids for that, right? Like what, like you're yeah. right. Why are we having heavy contracts on paper textbooks and not on Chromebooks or like on technology where I can fit 500 books on a right. book versus having to carry those books. And then once that leadership is in place, pushing that agenda down to the teachers to make sure that they're learning that stuff. It seems like, and then, you know, it seems like to me, like it has to start at the top. It has to be.
1: Yeah. And, and, and there's a couple of uh, challenges that you as a leader at the top uh, have to own and have it in your heart that you're going to implement what you own. So if you decide that you're going to embrace expanding and improving your technology as a resource, not just as a tool, but as a resource, as a, a, a skill set, then there's a lot you need to work with and change. So again, going back to the trust but verify, uh, nine, nine out of 10 entities, if you look at something that's supposed to be enterprise or school wide, if you want to call it, um, very few uh, school districts have an interdepartmental discussion about what we're talking about. So they have an IT person over there, but that IT person is not in the decision making of uh, how we're going to teach these kids math and how we're going to teach them English and and what does STEM mean? And oh, now it's not STEM anymore—science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Now it's STEAM, where they included arts. So how do you? How in my mind, when they made that paradigm shift, the schools did uh, to commit to STEM, to commit to STEAM. At that point they should have uh, done a strategic development plan that allowed them to enable how you use technology as a foundation and not as an afterthought. So right now, most of these programs, uh, the reason why they have these gaps is, again, the skill sets of the teachers themselves and the training that they got to implement these new technologies is almost uh, per non-existent. capita non-existent. <laughs> Right? So you're a teacher. I feel for you because you're being asked to uh, now in the state of California, these kids have to get online grades and online testing. What people don't understand is with a cell phone, you don't have a keyboard. So how are you going to take that test on a cell phone? It's just not possible. So what are the realities of technology and how technology is going to be implemented is uh, a, a role for a CIO. Most schools don't have a CIO. They have a technology director. A CIO reports typically in the corporate world t- directly to the CEO, which is the the lead uh, person. We don't use that model in education, and we should. CIO should be at the top level, reporting directly to the superintendents. Uh, now, uh, CTOs, chief technology officers, are in there where they go independently, bring technology so that the CIO can get uh, it implemented. Sometimes you can have a mix of a CIO and a chief technology officer in one person. Um, Then there's another thing that's coming along the line that's a huge challenge for everybody is the CISO, the chief uh, information security officer, right? All these are components of what are limited resources to school districts. And so until that dedication shifts, until that support gets implemented, it's gonna be difficult for that leader to go out there and embrace this whole direction. So the leaders have to be themselves committed to technology as a resource, not, not just a tool. And that's the key question.
2: Well, you know, Eli, this uh, podcast is really kind of meant to identify the game we're really in. And I really say that because we're talking about technology as a resource uh, where I think it is, uh, almost the driving force of school. It should be anyways, because we are in a technology heavy world and our job as, as a school is to prepare them for that technology heavy world. So te- technology should be as critical as free lunches at school. Yeah, As well, me- critical as after school care, as critical as sports are and they don't cut those programs, right? So um, I just think that as educational leaders, um, sometimes we don't understand the game we are really in. If my kid is going to go into a world where YouTube university is probably as good as Harvard at this point, you know, so um, why aren't we teaching kids how to go online and get that information and put it into place? Um, and I read somewhere where, you know, uh, Hispanics and African-American students are just almost at par with uh, Caucasian students in the smartphone world. They still lag behind in tablets. Still lag behind in broadband at home, but in the smart world, they're good, right? But but Hispanic students actually lag in going to the library to use their Wi-Fi, you know, or going to Starbucks to use their Wi-Fi. And so we depend on that just to be at home. But there's there's Wi-Fi almost everywhere at this point.
1: So let me give you an example about that. Uh, I talked to a school district up here in the foothills. It's a small school district, about ten thousand students. And uh, their technology guy said, yeah, well, you know, uh, our kids can use their iPhones and go to Starbucks. Well, that community only has one Starbucks. So that model doesn't work. The two model works where a city and the school district collaborate, which is in some cases not happening. And they collaborate and they intermarry their uh, infrastructure. And what I mean by that is uh, the city that I'm talking about actually owns the power and the light and the power within that city. So they could basically implement LED smart lights with Wi-Fi embedded, uh, interconnect them through a secure uh, private network, and provide that to the same school district that's within their own space, right? And, and I've tried to talk to both entities before, and they don't talk to each other. So again, that's the example I gave you earlier, there's stovepipes not just within the school district, but there's stovepipes within the resources of, this, of the community. So in my mind, every school district should be partnering with every city, and they should be moving towards smart cities models. And the reason why is those streetlights reach you at your home, and if you can interconnect those streetlights with a smart Wi-Fi back to the nearest school node, which could be an elementary, a middle school, or a high school, now you have an inner network. And let me give an example: in uh, the desert over here, uh, one one school district administrator presented and. He he uh, he had an idea where he put Wi-Fi on the buses. A lot of kids spend a ton of time on the buses, and then he would park certain buses in certain communities that didn't have a lot of Wi-Fi. And so then he expanded his reach from his school site into the community. Now people uh, might have criticized it because it's a bandaid, but guess what? He was a step further than the school districts that are sitting there waiting for a solution. So you really need to be uh, from the leadership proactive. You need to make that commitment. You need to understand what you just said about the, the kids. Uh, to me, uh, an example of what you just brought up, uh, to me, uh, gaming is a huge opportunity to get these kids engaged with education. So there's a way that gaming industry could commit to apps that are educational combo gaming. You get a lot more uh, access of education to every student just through that industry alone. And that industry is one of the uh, most, uh, uh, how can I say, uh, financially fit <laughs> entities that could become a partner to a school district. Uh, UCI has a gaming uh, degree now, uh, you know, Irvine. And so if we take kind of those uh, programs that you're you're sharing and we implement it through a school district ser- uh, program, again, to, to look at just the curriculum and how it gets implemented in the school district, is too old school. And that's the Is The process to implement new technology is not in place. So even if you have a great idea and we bring it to a school district, they still have to go through their old school process, which is not friendly towards technology. And they have to try to figure out how to get a curriculum built through there before they're able to teach the students that same curriculum. And and, and it's not like they can just bring it into the classroom. Some teachers do, but in in general, they won't just bring it into a classroom.
2: Well, I I think my my biggest question to you in terms of partnering up with school systems is, um, and you mentioned earlier that if a company wants to sell a product, they should have training. And you mentioned right now about the gaming companies. My biggest question is the biggest consumer in a market is actually the government. They actually buy the most stuff and spend the most money. And if the school system went, said, I will buy your product. If you include a training system, they will include a training system. Uh, if the school system said I'm going to use this money and I'm going to, I mean, to me, to me personally, um, I would treat it like the electrical rebates. I mean, why even set up for wi fi broadband connected broadband is faster and more secure. There's already wired going into the city, into the homes. I would just say, Hey, Verizon. I'm going to um, give you a 50% rebate if you offer it to lower income families, just like you do electricity, just like you do gas right now. And I would argue that those are just as important as gas and electricity at this point. So ha- you as a former CIO in the state of California, you ha- has a rich history in public service, um, has the... Uh, public sector really leverage their consumer status and saying if we really want to push this and have the private sector adhere to it we can because as consumers we have this kind of power
1: so i've seen a lot of work done by uh the gates foundation uh and and gates himself benefited directly from uh the resources and services he sold to uh school districts and school districts benefited by transition from mainframes to desktop servers and now iphones so the benefits have been there but they have not been implemented in an enterprise way so what i mean by an enterprise way is where you take the the procurement as an example Uh, most school districts don't have qualified certified procurement officers that, that buy the technology. So what happens is, uh, even in a county, my daughter happens to work in one, um, uh, she helps that whole entity. But there's a, it's, a, it's less than a handful of people to cover a whole county for procurement of technology, right? A school district might have one or maybe two people assigned to that, but they're not trained in the area of knowing A, how to build the spec, to pick exactly the technology they need, A, and then B, how to negotiate. So part of this is a two-part skill set that you need on behalf of the school district where you, you know how to specify what you need, you know how to ask multiple entities in that same space for a bid also, and then you know how to negotiate and get the best one, what I call best value, it's not always the lowest price. So many times you get the lowest price, but guess what? They exclude the training which is the most important component that that I espouse. So you gotta look back at, again, the the people and the process and and the decision-making. The leadership needs to understand that if technology is gonna be their main resource, then they need to beef up their procurement officer for that school district to be able to not just select the right technology, but be able to negotiate a better opportunity for the school district. There are state programs like CMAS, California Master Agreement Schedule. There's other uh, educational programs statewide that schools who don't have those kind of staff can point to. But again, even at that level, people aren't thinking about the training and the people skills and the skills development. They keep it, They they treat it separate and it shouldn't be, it should be integrated. So when you have an enterprise solution, you include, the training, the people, the the orientation, how it fits in the in the curriculum, and then how you distribute it securely to the kids. And so, right now, uh, if you recall, a few years ago, all unified rolled out their iPads, and these kids, high school kids, hacked into it immediately. I mean, that's how well these these kids were uh, in technology at the time. And so then they had to pull them back and resecure all that. Right. So that's an example that's going to continue to occur if you don't do the pre-planning. So you got to do more pre-planning within the school system and then uh, set up the right metrics and the program and the process and the curriculum and test it out and pilot it. And once it gets piloted and you get a, you know, get all the weeds out of the system, then you go and implement it. And, and that's just, it just takes a good, strong leader from, uh, superintendent level but it also takes a strong leader from whoever their IT person is going to be.
2: So maybe you can, um, maybe you know the answer to this question, maybe you don't, but you have a good grasp maybe of what we need and maybe what processes need to happen in in public education and Elisa alluded to an older generation teachers that maybe don't grasp that. What's the biggest roadblock in implementing some of what you just talked about?
1: Is well, it is people. Older? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm old generation myself, but I embrace technology as uh, what I would call a game changer for me personally. So when I got out of USC School of Architecture, I went to Ralph and Parsons Engineering, and I was one of 50 architects in a firm that had 10,000 engineers. The leader said, everyone's going to learn CAD. And they bought these $250,000 workstations, which now you would buy for five. And they bought these stations and they made a commitment, 100%, everyone's going to learn CAD. So when it came to our architecture group, as an example, they asked us 50 architects, okay, who wants to to get uh, the first set of training on computer-aided design and drafting? So everybody stepped back and I stepped forward. Why? Because I felt that that was an opportunity for me as an individual within a large organization to make a difference for me and for the organization. Within two years, all those 50 architects were reporting to me because I was now the CAD manager. And I developed applications that even the company who was selling us the software didn't have architectural applications. So I started doing architectural applications right out of college. And I didn't have a formal uh, uh, programming, computer uh, degree uh, training, but I had an understanding of what it needs uh, what change needs to occur, so that 's change management and what how you implement that change, so again, going back to that embracing of that technology, you have to have people that are going to be champions that want to be a technology person that want to share that technology and train other teachers. so we started programs then and then and, and I continue to espouse that uh, uh, training the trainers is a critical way for success for school districts so they need to create whether you're a teacher or you're an instructional technology aid person doesn't matter you need to establish a training trainer the training programs and that needs to be a continuous funded program so that when you get old school teachers you know I retired five years ago so I qualify under the old school people but I never used uh technology as an excuse for me not to uh continue to implement kind of my skill sets and improve my skill sets into the work that i was doing and basically it's you got to be committed and and most people uh in my day had a fear of technology because you were taught hey we do the wrong thing you could break the system right you're taught the wrong way in a sense Uh, to me I, i i was fearless about boundaries i was always challenging the boundaries that we had and uh, that's how I got heavily into applications development, because you need to think out of the box. You need to be uh, professional, and, and you need to document, and you need to uh, structure and test and test before you implement. Uh, when I was at L Unified, when I was at the County of San Bernardino, at the state, there were no failed technology systems that I rolled out. And that's because of how I embraced the project, how we... Uh, manage the project and we looked at those three entities make sure that the people are in place that they have the right attitude that the right disposition the fact that they want to teach in this space and the ones that don't then just need to move aside and let the ones that do become those trainers and then those trainers train other trainers and that's the best way to grow uh, a solution without that without funding those uh, teachers to take a break and go learn the skill set then, then it goes back to what I said originally. You gotta inspect what you expect. If I expect you to teach the kids, but I'm not gonna invest in your uh, skills development as a teacher, then it's just like me telling you to uh, tell the kids to teach something, but I'm not funding you a, a math book, for example. They couldn't do it. And so that's the challenge that we have to do. We have to treat technology uh, almost like we do math almost like we do English, uh, almost like we do writing. Uh, today, uh, we still, uh, my granddaughter is at a private school and we still go pick up the homework assignments from her teacher and her teacher hands my daughter uh, hand handwritten uh, documents when she could use a phone app that covers exactly what my daughter, my granddaughter's covering on these handouts to me. Uh, the value of the handouts are, yeah, she gets good good handwriting practice, (laughs) but all the other exercises and the reading and all that, that should be through an app. Now that teacher is not technology savvy, A, B, has not embraced technology as a resource. And so that hinders not just her, it hinders all the 20 kids in her classroom, including my granddaughter. So Luckily, we here at the home, all of us teach my granddaughter through apps, and she, she teaches my, my wife more about technology than I can teach my wife about technology. So uh, the, the, the kids, they're, they're like sponges. They can pick up on it. They can adapt, but if the teachers don't, then this uh, expectation of having technology uh, being part of the, of the learning foundation of a, of a child is going to remain a problem.
2: Absolutely. I'm gonna make one comment before we go on a quick break, but uh, one of the best teachers that I uh, studied under said, we should leverage behavior and not try to change it. And kids are already on technology, they're already on iPads, so we should leverage that instead of saying like, nope, don't do that, do something completely different. So we'll be right back after a quick break.
1: Yeah, before you go on the break, remember that leverage and that, you know, using that still needs guidance. And that's why I keep coming back to the leader and the skills training and the training, that guidance is invaluable.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, like I said, it starts at the top and comes down to the bottom, but you're right. right. Quick break and we'll be right back.
0: We'll be right back with more from Notes from the Underground, a
2: Kaizen journey with your host, JMC Jr. Hang tight.
0: PHP Trilogy Media, if you're looking to bring your story to life, to bring life into your marketing campaign, BHP Trilogy Media is what you're looking for. Expert storytellers. Complete digital marketing department. Visit bhptrilogy.com for more information.
2: Back to the show. Notes from the underground. A Kaizen journey. Here's your host, JMC Jr. All right, welcome back. Uh, We're here with uh, former CIO of the state, Eli Cortez, and uh, his daughter, Alyssa, talking about the digital divide. And actually, you know, this coronavirus has really brought this digital divide to to the front front and center, both in uh, telecommuting and in educ you know uh, learning at home. Based on your experience, um, what has been the impact on lower income communities and minority communities specifically?
1: Well, I gonna be honest with you. Uh, if you look at COVID nineteen, there's a digital divide there too. Uh, the poor are not getting the care that the well-to-do get. And so that's how this country runs. And so if you look at it all the way from the top, the leadership from the top, that change needs to happen. And so as we, uh, as citizens have the opportunity to go vote, and we don't vote, then we have to deal with the leadership that we have in place. And changing leadership once it's in place is is very complicated. So, uh, it could be a superintendent, it could be an educational technology instructor, it could be the superintendent of county schools, whichever level that leader is, if they don't have the, the empathy, if they don't have the appreciation, if they don't think long term, those are the limitations that create decisions that then come down from the top down, uh, you know and they trickle down into everybody's lives. And everybody's lives are uh, challenged because someone at the top is not making decisions in their best interest. So the only way you can change that is for the parents of these kids to make sure that they get involved heavily in any local uh, school election. And there's parent groups that they can get involved with. There's different ways for them to get involved with to start making this change.
2: So I think one of the, and I'm not saying that it, uh, this is a good thing on the coronavirus, but one of the potential benefits that could come out of it is that uh, teachers, cities are going to be forced, right, to adopt, adopt technology, and the digital divide is going to uh, be more emphasized. And I could just tell you that there's a big gap, right, between Eli, your generation, and I'm, I'm probably next, and then Elisa, right, um, I could tell you that there's a lot of parents that are going to start looking for other ways to teach their kids because they can't go to school. And even uh, schools are going to start saying, well, I, once this is over, what's to stop them from saying, let's adopt some of this that actually worked during this coronavirus. Same thing with cities, right? Or even just work or even just workplaces in general that would save money by not having their people come in every day and all that stuff they're going to say like, well, let's adopt some of that and they're going to be forced to like get into technology because of the coronavirus
1: so so at the end of the day how you educate your children is no question in my mind the responsibility of the parent no question again it it also has to do with class if you're in a class that's a labor class that's a uh
0: two uh,
1: a working two jobs, a, a work two jobs <laughs> class, uh, a single mom. Uh, there's a lot of challenges that our communities and the parents of these children face, right? So what you stated would be true if all of us could afford to send our kids to private school. And like I shared with you, just even our granddaughter that we're committing to her to go to private school, even that private school thinking is old school. I don't agree with how they teach relative to the technology right so what i'm saying is unless we as parents make a decision to uh embrace technology at home we can't wait for the public school system to catch up it's just not going to happen
2: but what i'm saying eli is that a lot of people are not going to go back to that school system yeah i would say i would say
1: a few but based on where everybody's going to end up after this coronavirus I'd say it's not that many. And here's why. Uh, education is expensive for multiple reasons. Well, but, but I think not-
2: that you're mistaking me saying they're going to go to private school.
1: No, There's no, no. A lot
2: of homeschool organizations that are just hosting what's happening now to the schools all the time. In other words, they're saying like, right. hey, I can teach you Zoom math all the time. You don't yeah. have to go anywhere. Or they have a school where it's one room and the kids come in only on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever, and they're all in rooms. Before, parents were not open to that or exposed to what that looked like, but now they're being shown that. And so So, in my experience, there's a lot of parents that are going to say, like, why would I go back to an outdated school
1: system? Well, well, here's why. Um, Again, what you brought up is a key that... The reason why that is now an option that you're talking about is because there's good content. Prior to this, you know, I knew of Khan Academy, right? Now there's multiple entities that are doing what Khan Academy started a, a few uh, years ago. So to me, yes, there are more menu options. But again, uh, the, the important value of a public school system to me is that uh, the kids are there, they're focused. And if you are a strong parent and you're willing to commit when that parent comes home and do their homework, you not only have them do whatever homework that teacher is giving them, but you also do what you just suggested and have some additional sessions that are online and you create a hybrid training program. Because it, it, a lot of people who do have these kids that you're saying, uh, if they're going to homeschool them themselves, uh, my, my brother's wife did that, it's, it's a full-time job. For that parent, so that parent is going to stay home and homeschool. It's a full. It's a full-time job. It's not even a part-time job. They can't do it on a part-time basis. So that commitment has to be there. Uh, if it's a two-family income, uh, those families don't have the privilege to do what you're saying. But to me, I think the 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 hybrid solution today is do both, where the the kids are focused and learning at school, but when they come home you do the follow-up. The follow-up has to be there. Then, you know, did you do your homework? Let me see what your homework is. Uh, Many parents, uh, uh, some of these kids bring some very sophisticated homework problems in math nowadays that that are much more advanced than when uh, we were being taught at school uh, at their age group, right? And so now, how does a parent who isn't strong at math teach that child math? And to me, that's one of the biggest R's that would be hard to replicate, yeah. is is the math. But <clears throat> other programs, yeah, I, I, you know, English, uh, reading, and and writing, and creativity, and and, and coding, the, you could do it. But I mean, there's certain things math. that still a school should do. YouTube I, University has all the math problems you need. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, here's the the thing. Alternatively, as well, because you know, I'm on the internet, uh, you know, interacting with a lot of different people and the kids right now that are in these classes are actively suffering. They're like, oh my God, I can't learn like this. I never knew, but this is the worst way to learn. They have, they're like, we have no structure. They weren't prepared for this because basically that's what happens all the times so people get into college is, uh, you know, teachers are always like, we're, we're preparing you for college by doing all these things, these things, these things, these things. In college, the biggest thing that school never taught you is how to maintain your own schedule and to have time management and that you are responsible for all these things now that the school kind of took care of. So these kids that have just been forced onto like zoom learning where their teacher might actively not know how to use a computer. You know what I mean? They were already struggling. Like it was already like a, a meme about, you know, when they, again, going back to like giving teachers technology and being like, good luck is they had these, uh, I think they're Elmo brand. They had these new projectors that they came out with. Like, you remember the big old school projectors? They have like little desktop ones. And it's basically a camera that, you know, looks down on whatever you put there and it can project it onto the board. And it's really cool because you could put objects and stuff down and kind of really look at it. Except that most of the teachers did not know how to use it. Or when they give a teacher a new, like overhead, like a projector, like a screen projector, they don't know how to use it. So oftentimes, like I've seen it when I was in school and my friend right now is a high school teacher. She's, you know, my age, she's a young teacher and the students like to gravitate towards her because she actually knows how to use technology. And like, if she has a problem, like I'll actively try to help her out with it. And through that, she has to train other teachers how to do these things because they never learn. They don't teach them anything. And so the the quick forcing to Zoom has made it so that, education is possibly now worse than it's ever been because the students are like i can't focus um if the teacher is able to get on the call at all like that that can be an issue and then other kids are being disruptive because there's no structure so i think it's all it's like marrying the two it's being able to have your all your books on like a kindle or your cell phone you know for school but also being able to go to school and have a dedicated teacher to speak to if you have problems it's, it's that balance that needs to come together.
2: I actually love that you brought that up actually, because again, the game we're really in. I have, I think um, that was critical because again, preparing the kids for what they really need to learn, right? And we don't teach self-discipline. Like we don't see, teach uh, to seek out knowledge and question it and stuff of like that nature. And, and I would argue that when you graduate college, I know most people, Uh, they put very little of what they learn in the classroom in play at work, right? They have to learn how very little real-life problems look like a textbook problem. So they have to really think outside the box, really do some critical thinking, really kind of self-manage. And that's what we do not teach in school. So the biggest thing the school does is give you discipline. Hey, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through Friday, this time to this time, you're going to do this. But when it's on you, now it's on you to get that done we haven't taught you how to be self-disciplined like that. We haven't taught you how to be self-organized like that. And I think that's the biggest issue with that. If I could teach you how to be self-disciplined and self-organized, you will learn what you need to learn.
1: Let me, let me give you a, okay.
2: Oh no, I'll just say one more thing. My kids are doing their homework at school within 45 minutes. So I'm going like, why are you going to school for six hours? If you could get the work done in 45 minutes, because to your point, Eli, to go to school for six, seven hours, come home, eat, and then do more schooling is tough, right? Yeah. Uh, so I would say, like, I would actually propose a hybrid where my kid goes to the actual school for two, three hours, and then comes home and does whatever I need him to do, right? And then he has the rest of his day. Yeah.
1: So, so as an example of what uh, Elisa shared, here's a case in point. Uh, at school one of the apps that they do use is they have a tracking system for uh the kids uh learning on the different skill sets and they some, somehow fill out a form or do it on, on an app i don't know exactly how each teacher was trained but the fact that they're doing that uh, and tracking that is important uh, another component of the same app was behavior in the classroom and they're tracking that too the attitude and and talking back, and all the things that some kids do naturally, right? And they're tracking that too. So I saw that, uh, and I was talking to my daughter about my granddaughter. And I said, Well, geez, that's a neat app. Uh, let me see how she's doing with her attitude at school. Because at home, she likes to, you know, run around and, and uh, push all the boundaries. So if you look at her record at school, she's like the perfect student. Her attitude, everything's just like perfect. And so I said, oh, okay, well then why don't we introduce this app here at home with my granddaughter? And so we had a discussion with her and, and the discussion was around, hey, we're gonna track your attitude at home too. So again, this is a combination in my mind of a parenting responsibility and it's also the schools. The school is not just discipline, it's structure and access to a, a human being that can answer your question. Now. If you look at a school district that's got a 40 to one ratio, your chances of getting a lot of uh, attention is a lot less than a private school or a homeschool, right? A private school, you might get a 20, 20 to one student ratio. That's what everybody, the number that everybody, every teacher would love to have. So what, what is going on is a lot of these, uh, and to me, you, we need to get the, the California Teachers Union involved and get their teachers to really document their expectations and what could help them relative to implementing this technology and then reverse engineer it bring it back to the top bring it back to the state superintendent bring it back to the county superintendents bring it back to that local school superintendent so it needs to it needs to grow from where the actual, you know, they call it they call it boots on the ground. The boots on the ground are the educators, the teachers themselves. If you do a survey of those teachers and find out, hey, did you get a really good training on how to use Zoom? I guarantee you, the questions are going to be, I never got trained. We just jumped yeah. on it and did the it. The
0: students did. It, it was live, me. and the students
1: <laughs> set it up right. That's the that's the missing uh, process the missing process that whatever I now adapt to with technology, there's a structure training, there's documentation, and then there's refresher uh, on that training, because I guarantee you, if you look at your iPhone, you're a computer person, but the average citizen doesn't know all the power that they have on that phone. The average citizen doesn't know that they can uh, talk their notes directly into the notes pad and then it automatically can generate an email, and you can go in there and clean up the email, and then you can add pictures and have a powerful PowerPoint presentation developed. Just in that process alone, the average person doesn't know that their phone is that powerful and that capable. So what 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 does that mean? That means that there's more opportunity for skill sets training and development training. And to me, that's where we, uh, our educational dollars should be headed to us right now is to get everybody to understand that. You really have to invest to get something out of that program so to embrace technology is one thing but to implement it is a whole different game a lot of people can talk about technology but very few people have implemented it. and i'll give you one example when i was at Alley unified uh, apple didn't have the iphone at the time uh, apple was apple on your desktop at its best and they were always six months behind uh let's say the uh the application for microsoft office they were always six months behind. Why? Because Microsoft would take care of their customer base first and then they would help Apple with theirs out. And there's always a six month gap. So in a school district as big as uh, LA Unified, it was always the struggle. Do we buy uh, PCs, IBM desktop PCs, or do we buy Apple computers? A lot of the graphics instructors would swear by it, even then, Apple technology, they wanted it. They said it, and a lot of instructors liked it because it was so user-friendly. It was, it was superior to the uh, IBM desktop. Now, what happened is we had a challenge and to embrace uh, that gap, uh, we came up with an emulator program that we put uh, emulation software, emulation is kind of like an interpreter. And so we put that software on all the uh, PCs and you could run Apple on the PC. That was our solution because we knew that IBM wasn't gonna in, uh, compress the time when they would release the software uh, to Apple at the time. And so you have to solve the, the challenges that come before you at the moment. And at the moment is not always necessarily using only one type of technology. It's figuring out how to interconnect it. So for example, I use Cisco technology before they went public. That's how far back I go. And why did I use them? Because they they were what I considered industrial strength. They had the capability to grow. They had the capability to scale. And compared to other products, they were the most secure product at the time. And when we rolled out uh, LAUSD.net, we rolled that out in the first week, we had like 50,000 users. Now it's over a million plus users. And that website, lesd.net, grew from old school routers and old school Cisco routers and old school technology. And then it's always been upgraded since. But the point is, is that uh, we bit the bullet and we made the commitment and we were going 24 seven just to keep up to hooking up more ports to let more teachers have access to LUSD.net. Uh Prior to it rolling out like we did, uh, I used the technology that esri a gis company had they had really good graphics and we used a point and click technology that they created kind of a point and click uh, desktop for us and this was prior to you know uh, all the web technologies that we have today and we were able to point and click our different applications right off our screen and then you had a common screen that people would use so there's a lot of technology that sometimes is ready and sometimes it's not but to implement it you have to go through those. Structured step, you have to uh test it, you have to verify it. you have to have users that are actually going to use it use it you have to then train them and then you have to set up documentation and then invest in the continued training. We had a department of about thirty people that were full time offering uh you know help desk support, so you'd call into the help desk and get support to you know uh eight hundred thousand plus students and you know thousands tens of thousands of teachers and it's goes like 80 square miles it's huge right so again going back to how you get it done is you have to uh commit to it you have to organize it you have to test it you have to document it you have to train on it and that's what i'm talking about holistic it's got to be the whole solution as one not just pieces and pieces that are coming in at you
2: Okay. Well, that's great advice. I really appreciate it. Um, to close the podcast, uh, maybe Eli, you could, can you tell, just, you're talking to uh, the head of education of California. You have, you know, one piece of advice to give them. What would it be?
1: Help me help you. Let me know how you feel you could dedicate yourself and your decision-making to allowing our kids to have a better chance to be competitive in the in the current world and their global challenges. These are not regional and local like in the old days. So help me help you. And basically, if that commitment comes back, then I just say, let's first look at your overall system, make sure uh, all the components are integrated together that there's it's not stovepipe one department doesn't talk to the other and let's we'll bring everybody together and rethink how we're going to distribute uh technology resources not just to the teachers but to the kids
2: and at least, uh, i think that what we're we're like in this uh migration gap right we have old school teachers still in control we have like your, quote, your friend at a newer teacher and embraces technology, and our kids are kind of caught in the, between these two worlds. What's the best advice you have for maybe parents caught up in this?
0: Um, I would say that for a parent that's struggling with how their t- kid is being taught, um, you have to try and open a dialogue with your teacher. If, like if you think that there's a, a better idea and it's hard to do right now, because of everything going on but you know teachers need parents help and if you really come forward not in like a why aren't you doing this for my kid but how can i help you do this for all the kids teachers are going to take that support because they need it because our teachers are super underfunded they're uh, overworked and a lot of times like we were saying like the class size is ridiculous they would love to streamline things to you know, make it run easier. But if you have no training, no money to, you know, purchase items and no one to help you learn how to use it, you're stuck. You're stuck doing the same thing you've done for decades if you've been a teacher for that long. So offer to help in order to make better change for both of you and for the student. Awesome.
2: Well, with that being said, I want to thank you guys again for your time. Uh, You know, stay safe during this coronavirus thing and hopefully we can see some changes and some closing of that digital gap soon
1: yeah and do some uh safe teleworking
2: yeah (laughs) Yeah. absolutely all right guys thanks again all right thank you thank you for listening to notes from the underground a kaizen journey
0: with jmc jr keep on the road to self-improvement and we'll catch you on the next episode